Welcome, everyone, to episode 59 of Ohio Unsolved. I'm your host, Matthew, and in today's episode, we're talking about the murder of Kaylee Anthony. I'm sure that a lot of you remember this case from 2008, and we're going to dive into the story today. So let's just get right into the episode. Everyone sit back, make sure to lock those doors and windows, and get ready for Ohio Unsolved. Kaylee Marie Anthony, born on August 9, 2005, lived in Orlando, Florida with her mother, Casey Anthony, and her maternal grandparents, George and Cindy Anthony. On July 15, 2008, she was reported missing in a 911 call made by Cindy, who said that she had not seen Kaylee for 31 days and that Casey's car smelled like a dead body had been inside it. Cindy said that Casey had given varied explanations as to where Kaylee's whereabouts before finally telling her that she had not seen Kaylee for weeks. Casey lied to detectives, telling them Kaylee had been kidnapped by a nanny on June 9th, and that she had been trying to find her, too frightened to alert the authorities. She was charged with first-degree murder in October of 2008, and pled not guilty. On December 11, 2008, two-year-old Kaylee's skeletal remains were found with a blanket inside of a laundry bag in a wooded area near the Anthony family's house. Investigative reports and trial testimony varied between duct tape being found near the front of the skull and on the mouth of the skull. The medical examiner mentioned duct tape as one of the reasons that she determined the death was a homicide, while the cause of death was listed as death by undetermined, undetermined means. The trial lasted six weeks from May to July 2011. The prosecution sought the death penalty and alleged that Casey wished to free herself from paternal responsibilities and murdered her daughter by administering chloroform and applying duct tape to her nose and mouth. The defense team, led by Jose Baez, countered that the child had drowned accidentally in the family swimming pool on June 16, 2008, and that George Anthony disposed of the body. 
The defense contended that Casey lied about this and other issues because of a dysfunctional upbringing, which they said included sexual abuse by her father. The defense did not present any evidence as to how Kaylee died, nor evidence that Casey was sexually abused as a child, but challenged every piece of the prosecution's evidence, calling much of it fantasy forensics. Casey did not testify. On July 5th, 2011, the jury found Casey not guilty of first-degree murder, aggravated child abuse, and aggravated manslaughter of a child, but guilty of four misdemeanor counts, providing false information to a law enforcement officer. With credit for time served, she was released on July 17, 2011. A Florida appellate court overturned two of the misdemeanor, misdemeanor convictions on January 25, 2013. According to Casey Anthony's father, George, Casey left the family home on June 16, 2008, taking her daughter Kaylee, who was almost three years old at the time, with her, and did not return for 31 days. Casey's mother, Cindy, asked repeatedly during the month to see Kaylee, but Casey claimed that she was too busy with a work assignment in Tampa. At other times, she said that Kaylee was with a nanny, who Casey identified by the name Zenaida Zani Fernandez Gonzalez, or at theme parks or the beach. It was eventually determined that a woman named Zenaida Fernandez Gonzalez did in fact exist, but that she had never met Casey, Kaylee, or any other of the member of the Anthony family, nor any of Casey's friends. Learning that Casey's car was in a tow yard, George Anthony went to recover it. He and the yard attendant noted a strong smell coming from the trunk. Both later stated that they believed the odor to be that of a decomposing body. When the trunk was opened, it contained only a bag of trash. Cindy reported Kaylee missing that day, July 15th, to the Orange County Sheriff's Office. During the same telephone call, Casey confirmed to the 911 operator that Kaylee had been missing for 31 days. Sounding distraught, Cindy said, There is something wrong. I found my daughter's car today and it smells like there's been a dead body in the damn car. When Detective Yuri Melik of the Orange County Sheriff's Department began investigating Kaylee's disappearance, he found discrepancies in Casey's signed statement. When questioned, Casey said Kaylee had been kidnapped by Zenaida, whom she identified as Zanny, Kaylee's nanny. Although Casey had talked to her Zanny had never been seen by Casey's family or friends, and in fact, there was no nanny. Casey also told police that she was working at Universal Studios, a lie she had been telling her parents for years. Investigators took Casey to Universal Studios on July 16, 2008, the day after Kaylee was reported missing, and asked her to show them her office. Casey led detectives around the building for about 25 minutes before she stopped, started smiling, and jokingly admitted 
that she had no office there, and that she had been fired years before. Casey was first arrested on July 16, 2008, and was charged the following day with giving false statements to the police, child neglect, and obstruction of a criminal investigation. The judge denied bail, saying that Casey had shown woeful disregard for the welfare of her child. And on July 22, 2008, after a bond hearing, the judge set bail at $500,000. On August 21, 2008, after one month of incarceration, she was released from the Orange County Jail after her $500,000 bond was posted by the nephew of California bail bondsman Leonard Padilla in hopes that she would cooperate and Kaylee would be found. On August 11th, 12th, and 13th, 2008, meter reader Roy Kronk called the police about a suspicious object found in a forested area near the Anthony residence. In the first instance, he was directed by the sheriff's office to call the tip line, which he did, receiving no return call. On the second instance, he again called the sheriff's office and eventually was met by two police officers. He reported to them that he had seen what appeared to be a skull near a gray bag. On that occasion, the officer conducted a short search and stated that he did not find anything. And then, on December 11th, Kronk again called the police. They searched and found the remains of a child inside a trash bag. Investigative teams recovered duct tape, which was hanging from hair attached to the skull, and some tissue left on the skull. Over the next four days, more bones were found in the wooded area near the spot where the remains initially had been discovered. On December 19, 2008, medical examiner Jan Gravengelia confirmed that the remains found were those of Kaylee Anthony. The death was ruled a homicide, and the cause of death listed as undetermined. Casey was offered a limited immunity deal on July 29, 2008 by prosecutors related to the false statements given to law enforcement about locating her child, which was renewed on August 25th to expire August 28th. She did not take it. On September 5th, 2008, she was released again on bail for all pending charges after being fitted with an electronic tracking device. Her $500,000 bond was posted by her parents, Cindy and George Anthony, who signed a promissory note for the bond. On October 14, 2008, Casey Anthony was indicted by a grand jury on charges of first-degree murder, aggravated child abuse, aggravated manslaughter of a child, and four counts of providing false information to police. She was later arrested, and Judge John Jordan ordered that she be held without bond. On October 21, 2008, the charges of child neglect were dropped against Casey according to the state attorney's office, because, as the evidence proved that the child was deceased, the state sought an indictment on the legally appropriate charges. On October 28th, Anthony was arraigned and pled not guilty to all charges. On April 13th, 2009, prosecutors announced that they planned to seek the death penalty in this case. 
400 pieces of evidence were presented. A strand of hair was recovered from the trunk of Casey's car, which was microscopically similar to a hair taken from Kaylee's hairbrush. The strand showed root banding, in which hair roots from a dark band after death, which was consistent with hair from a dead body. Kronk, who discovered the remains, repeated the same basic story that he had told the police. On Friday, October 24, 2008, a forensic report by Arpad Voss of the Oak Ridge National Laboratory judged that results from an air sampling procedure called LIBS performed in the trunk of Casey Anthony's car showed chemical compounds consistent consistent with a decompositional event based on the presence of five key chemical compounds out of over 400 possible chemical compounds that Voss Research Group considers typical of decomposition. Investigators stated that the trunk smelled strongly of human decomposition, but human decomposition was not specified on the laboratory scale. The process has not been affirmed by a Daubert test in the courts. Voss's group also stated that there was chloroform in the car trunk. In October of 2009, officials released 700 pages of documents related to the Anthony investigation, including records of Google searches on, of the terms neck-breaking and how to make chloroform on a computer accessible to Casey, presented by the prosecutors as evidence of a crime. According to detectives, crime scene evidence included residue of a heart-shaped sticker found on duct tape over the mouth of Kaylee's skull. However, the laboratory was not able to capture a heart-shaped photographically after some duct tape was subjected to dye testing. A blanket found at the crime scene matched Kaylee's bedding at her grandparents' home. Among photos entered into evidence was one from the computer of Ricardo Morales, an ex-boyfriend of Casey Anthony, depicting a man leaning over a woman with a rag captioned, Winter Over with Chloroform. Prosecution witness John Dennis Bradley Software, developed for computer investigations, was used by the prosecution to indicate that Casey has conducted extensive computer searches on the word chloroform, 84 times, and to suggest that Anthony had planned to commit murder. He later discovered that a flaw in the software misread the forensic data and that the word chloroform had been searched for only one time, and the website in question offered information on the use of chloroform in the 19th century. The lead prosecutor in the case was Assistant State Attorney Linda Burdick, Assistant State Attorneys Frank George and Jeff Ashton completed the prosecution team. Lead counsel for the defense was Jose Baez, a Florida criminal defense attorney. Attorneys Jay Chesney Mason, Dorothy Clay Sims, and Ann Fennell served as co-counsel. During the trial, attorney Mark Lippman represented George and Cindy Anthony. 
Jury selection began on May 9, 2011 at the Pinellas County Criminal Justice Center in Clearwater, Florida because the case had been so widely reported in the Orlando era. Jurors were brought in from Pinellas County to Orlando. Jury selection took longer than expected and ended on May 20, 2011, with 12 jurors and 5 alternates being sworn in. The panel consisted of nine women and eight men. The trial took six weeks, during which time the jury was sequestered to avoid influence from information available outside of the courtroom. The trial began on May 24, 2011, at the Orange County Courthouse with Judge Belvin Perry presiding. In the opening statements, lead prosecutor Linda Burdick described the story of the disappearance of Kaylee Anthony day by day. The prosecution alleged an international murder, intentional murder, and sought the death penalty against Casey Anthony. Prosecutors stated that Anthony used chloroform to render her daughter unconscious before putting duct tape over her nose and mouth to suffocate her, and left Kaylee's body in the trunk of her car for a few days before disposing of it. They characterized Anthony as a party girl who killed her daughter to free herself from parental responsibility and enjoy her personal life. The defense, led by Jose Baez, claimed in opening statements that Kaylee drowned accidentally in the family's pool on June 16th and was found by George Anthony, who told Casey she would spend the rest of her life in jail for child neglect and then proceeded to cover up Kaylee's death. Baez argued this is why Casey Anthony went on with her life and failed to report the incident for 31 days. He alleged that it was the habit of a lifetime for Casey to hide her pain and pretend that nothing was wrong because she had, she had been sexually abused by George Anthony since she was eight years old and her brother Lee also had made advances towards her. Baez also questioned whether Roy Cronk, the meter reader who found the bones, had actually removed them from another location, and further alleged that the police department's investigation was compromised by their desire to feed a media frenzy about a child's murder, rather than a more mundane drowning. He admitted that Casey had lied about there being a nanny named Zenaida Fernandez Gonzalez, Prosecutors called George Anthony as their first witness, and in a response to their question, he denied having sexually abused his daughter Casey. Anthony testified that he did not smell anything resembling human decomposition in Casey's car when she visited him on June 24th, but he did smell something similar to human decomposition when he picked up the car on July 15th. Cindy Anthony testified that her comment to 911 that Casey's car smelled like someone died was just a figure of speech. Baez asked an FBI analyst about the paternity test the FBI conducted to see if Lee Anthony, Casey's brother, was Kaylee's father. She told the jury the test had come back negative. Regarding a photo on the computer of Ricardo Morales, an ex-boyfriend of Casey Anthony, depicting a poster with the caption, 
win her over with chloroform. Morales said that the photo was on his MySpace page and that he had never discussed chloroform with Casey or searched for chloroform on her computer. The prosecution called John Dennis Bradley, a former Canadian law enforcement officer who developed software for computer investigations, to analyze a data file from a desktop taken from the Anthony home. Bradley said that he was able to use a program to recover deleted searches from March 17th and March 21st, 2008, and that someone had searched the website SciSpot.com for chloroform 84 times. Bradley expressed his belief that some of these items might have been bookmarked. Under cross-examination by the defense, Bradley agreed that there were two individual accounts on the desktop and that there was no way to know who actually performed the searches. Police dog handler John Forge testified that Jirus, a German Shepherd cadaver dog certified in 2005, indicated a high alert of human decomposition in the trunk of Casey's car, saying the police dog had real-world searches numbering over 300,000 by now. During cross-examination, Baez argued that the dog's search records were hearsay. Sergeant Kirsten Brewer also testified that her police dog, Bones, signaled decomposition in the backyard during a search in July of 2008. However, neither police dog were able to detect decomposition during a second visit to the Anthony home. Brewer explained that this was because whatever had been in the yard was either moved or the odor had dissipated. The prosecution called Chief Medical Examiner Jan Garvaglia, who testified that she determined Kaylee's manner of death to be homicide, but listed it as death by undetermined means. The medical examiner took into account the physical evidence present on the remains that she examined, as well as all the available information on the way they were found and what she had been told by the authorities before arriving at her destination. We know by our observations that it's a red flag when a child has not been reported to authorities with injury. There's foul play. There's no child that should have duct tape on its face when it dies. Additionally, the coroner addressed the chloroform evidence found by investigators inside the trunk of Casey's car testifying that even a small amount of chloroform would be sufficient to cause the death of a child. University of Florida professor and Human Identification Laboratory Director Michael Warren was brought on by the prosecution to present a computer animation of the way the duct tape could have been used in the death of the child, which the defense objected to hearing. Judge Perry, after a short recess to review, ruled that the video could be shown to the jury. The animation featured a picture of Kaylee taken alongside Casey, superimposed with an image of Kaylee's decomposed skull and another with a strip of duct tape that was recovered with her remains. The images were slowly brought together showing that the duct tape could have co covered her nose and mouth. Baez stated this disgusting superimposed position is nothing more than a fantasy, 
They're throwing things against the wall and seeing if it sticks. Jurors were seen taking notes of the imagery, and Warren testified that it was of his opinion that the duct tape found with Kaylee's skull was placed there before her body began decomposing. FBI latent print examiner Elizabeth Fontaine testified that adhesive in the shape of a heart was found on a corner of a piece of duct tape that was covering the mouth portion of Kaylee's remains during the ultraviolet testing. Fontaine examined three pieces of the duct tape found on Kaylee's remains for fingerprints and said that she did not find any fingerprints but did not expect to. Given the months the duct tape had in the remains had been outdoors and exposed to the elements, stressing that any oil or sweat from a person's fingertips would have long since deteriorated. Although Fontaine showed the findings to her supervisor, she did not initially try to photograph the heart-shaped adhesive, explaining, When I observe something is unexpected, I note it and continue with my examination. During the defense's cross-examination, Fontaine explained that when she examined the sticker evidence a second time, after subjecting the tape to dye testing, it was no longer visible. She said that other FBI agents had tested the duct tape in the interim. The defense called two government witnesses who countered prosecution witness testimony about the duct tape. The chief investigator for the medical examiner stated that the original placement of the duct tape was unclear and it could have shifted positions as he collected the remains. Cindy Anthony testified that their family buried their pets in blankets and plastic bags using duct tape to seal the opening. Additionally, an FBI forensic document examiner found no evidence of a sticker or sticker residue on the duct tape found near the child's remains. The defense called forensic pathologist Dr. Werner Spitz, who performed a second autopsy on Kaylee after the original coroner and challenged her autopsy report. He called her autopsy shoddy, saying that it was a failure that Kaylee's skull was not opened during her examination. You need to examine the whole body in an autopsy, he said. Spitz stated that he was not allowed to attend the initial autopsy on Kaylee's remains, and that from his own follow-up autopsy, he was not comfortable ruling the child's death a homicide. He said that he could not determine what Kaylee's manner of death was, but said that there was no indication to him that she was murdered. Additionally, Spitz testified that he believed that the duct tape found on Kaylee's skull was placed there after the body decomposed, opinion that if the tape was placed on the skin, there should have been DNA left on it, and suggested that someone may have staged some of the crime scene photos. The person who took this picture, the person who prepared this, put the hair there, stated Spitz. When asked by Ashton during cross-examination, so your testimony is a medical examiner's personal personnel took the hair that wasn't on the skull and placed it there. Spit answered, It wouldn't be the first time, sir. I can tell you some horror stories about that. On June 23rd, Baez called Cindy Anthony to the stand, 
who told jurors that she had been the one who performed the chloroform search on the family computer in March of 2008. The prosecution alleged that only Casey could have conducted this search and the others because she was the only one home at the time. When asked by prosecutors how she could have made the internet searches when employment records show she was at work, Cindy Anthony said despite what her work timesheet indicates, she was at home during these time periods because she left from work early during the days in question. Bradley alerted prosecutor Linda Burdick and Sergeant Kevin Stinger of the Sheriff's Office the weekend of June 25th about the discrepancy in his software and volunteered to fly to Orlando at his own expense to show them. On the same day, the judge temporarily halted proceedings when the defense filed a motion to determine if Anthony was competent to proceed with trial. The motion states the defense received a privileged communication from their client which caused them to believe that Mrs. Anthony is not competent to aid and assist in her own defense. The trial resumed on June 27th when the judge announced that the results of the psychological evaluations showed that Casey Anthony was competent to proceed. In later testimony about air samples, Dr. Ken Furton, a professor of chemistry at Florida International University, stated that there is no consensus in the field on what chemicals are typical of human decomposition. Judge Perry ruled that the jury would not get to smell air samples taken from the trunk. The prosecution stated that they discussed Bradley's software discrepancy with Baez on June 27th, and he raised the issue in court testimony. Baez also asked Judge Perry to instruct the jury about this search information, but prosecutors disputed this and it was not done. Also, on June 27th, the defense called two private investigators who had searched the area in November of 2008 where the body was later found. The search was videotaped, but nothing was found. On June 28th, the defense called a Texas EcuSearch team leader who did two searches of the area and found no body. The defense then called Roy Kronk, who recounted the same basic story that he told police about his discovery of Kaylee's remains in December 2008. He, he acknowledged receiving $5,000 after the remains were identified, but denied that he told his son that finding the body would make him rich and famous. The next day, his son testified he had made such statements. On June 30th, the defense called Crystal Holloway, a volunteer in the search for Kaylee, who stated that she had had an affair with George Anthony, that he had been to her home, and that he had texted her, just thinking about you, I need you in my life. She told the defense that George Anthony had told her that Kaylee's death was an accident that snowballed out of control. Under cross-examination by prosecutors, they pointed to her sworn police statement in which she had said that George Anthony believed that it was an accident, rather than knowing that it was. In her initial report, Holloway reported George Anthony saying, I really believe that it was an accident that just went wrong, and Casey tried to cover it up.
She said he had not told her that he was present when the alleged accident occurred. During redirect examination, Baez asked Tolloway if George Anthony had told her that Kaylee was dead while stating publicly that she was missing, to which she replied yes. In his earlier testimony, George Anthony had denied the affair with Holloway and said that he had visited her only once because she was ill. He said that he sent the text message because he needed everyone who had helped in his life. After Holloway's testimony, Judge Perry told jurors that it could be used to impeach George Anthony's credibility, but that it was not proof of how Kaylee died, nor evidence of Casey Anthony's guilt or innocence. The prosecution arrested its case on June 15th after calling 59 witnesses for 70 different testimonies. The defense rested its case on June 30th after calling 47 witnesses for 63 different testimonies. Casey Anthony did not testify. On June 30th and July 1st, the prosecutor presented rebuttal arguments, beginning by showing the jury photographs of Kaylee's clothes and George's suicide note. It called two representatives of Cindy Anthony's former employer, who explained why their computer login system shows Cindy was at work the afternoon that she said she went home early and searched her computer for information about chloroform. A police computer analyst testified someone had purposely searched online for neck plus breaking. Another analyst testified that she did not find evidence that Cindy Anthony had searched certain terms she claimed to have searched. Anthropology professor Dr. Michael Warren from the University of Florida was recalled to rebut a defense witness on the need to open a skull during an autopsy. The lead detective stated that there were no phone calls between Cindy and George Anthony during the week of June 16, 2008. However, he told the defense that he did not know that George had a second cell phone. Closing arguments were heard July 3rd and July 4th. Jeff Ashton for the prosecution told the jury, When you have a child, that child becomes your life. This case is about the clash between that responsibility and the expectations that go with it, and the life that Casey Anthony wanted to have. He outlined the state's case against Casey, touching on her many lies to her parents and others. The smell in her car's trunk, identified by several witnesses, including her own father, as the odor from human decomposition, and the items found with Kaylee's skeletal remains in December of 2008. He emphasized how Casey maintains her lies until they absolutely cannot be maintained anymore, and then replaces them with another lie, using the nanny as an example. Anthony repeatedly told police that Kaylee was with the nanny, that she specifically identified Zenaida Fernandez-Gonzalez. Police, however, were never able to find the nanny. Authorities did find a woman named Zenaida Fernandez-Gonzalez, but she denied ever meeting the Anthonys. Ashton reintroduced the items found with Kaylee's remains, including a Winnie the Pooh blanket that matched the bedding at her grandparents' home. 
one of a set of laundry bags with a twin bag found at the Anthony home, and duct tape, he said, was a relatively rare brand. That bag is Kaylee's coffin, Ashton said, holding up a photograph of the laundry bag, as Casey reacted with emotion. He further criticized the defense's theory that Kaylee drowned in the Anthony pool and that Casey and George panicked upon finding the child's body and covered up her death. He advised jurors to use their common sense when deciding on a verdict. No one makes an accident look like murder, he said. Before closing arguments, Judge Perry ruled that the defense could argue that a drowning occurred due to the reasonable conclusions aided by witness testimony but that arguing sexual abuse was not allowed since there was nothing to support the claim that George sexually abused Casey. Baez began by contending that there were holes in the prosecution's forensic evidence, saying that it was based on a fantasy. He told the jury that the prosecution wanted them to see stains and insects that did not really exist that they had not proven that the stains in Anthony's car trunk were caused by Kaylee's decomposing body, rather than from a trash bag found in there. He added that the prosecutors tried to make his client look like a promiscuous liar because their evidence was weak. He said the drowning is the only explanation that makes sense and showed jurors a photograph of Kaylee opening the home sliding glass door by herself. He stressed that there were no child safety locks in the home and that both of Casey's parents, George and Cindy, testified that Kaylee could get out of the house easily. Although Cindy testified that Kaylee could not put the ladder on the pool and climb up. Baez alleged that Cindy may have left the ladder up the night before. She didn't admit to doing so in testimony, he said, but how much guilt would she have knowing that it was her that left the ladder up that day? Defense attorney Jose Baez told jurors his biggest fear was that they would base their verdict on emotions and not evidence. The strategy behind that is, if you hate her, if you think she's a lying, no-good slut, then you'll start to look at this evidence in a different light, he said. I told you at the very beginning of this case that this was an accident that snowballed out of control. What made it unique is not what happened, but who it happened to. He explained Casey Anthony's behavior as being the result of her dysfunctional family situation. At one point, Baez spoke... Ashton could be seen smiling or chuckling behind his hand. This prompted Baez to refer to him as this laughing guy right here. The judge called a sidebar conference, then a recess. When court resumed, he chastised both sides, saying both Ashton and Baez had violated his order that neither side should make disparaging remarks about opposing counsel. After both attorneys apologized, the judge accepted the apologies, but warned that the reoccurrence would have the offending attorney excluded from the courtroom. Defense attorney Cheney Mason then followed with an additional closing argument, 
addressing the jury to discuss the charges against Casey Anthony. The burden rests on the shoulders of my colleagues at the state attorney's office, Mason said, referring to proving that Casey Anthony committed a crime. Mason said that the jurors are required, whether they like it or not, to, to find the defendant not guilty if the state did not adequately prove its case against Casey Anthony. Mason emphasized that the burden of proof is on the state and that Casey Anthony's decision not to testify is not an implication of guilt. Lead prosecutor Linda Drain Burdick in the prosecution rebuttal told the jurors that she and her colleagues backed up every claim that they made in their opening statement six weeks ago and implied that the defense never directly backed up their own opening statement claims. My biggest fear is that common sense will be lost in all the rhetoric of the case, she said, insisting that she would never ask the jury to make their decision based on emotion, but rather the evidence. Responses to guilt are oh so predictable, she stated. What do guilty people do? They lie. They avoid, they run, they mislead. They divert attention away from themselves and they act like nothing is wrong. She suggested that the garbage bag in the trunk of the car was a decoy put there to keep people from getting suspicious about the smell of the car when she left it abandoned in a parking stall directly beside a dumpster in an Amscot parking lot. Whose life was better without Kaylee, she asked, stressing how George and Cindy Anthony were wondering where their daughter and granddaughter were in June and July of 2008, the same time Casey was staying in her boyfriend's apartment while Kaylee's body was decomposing in the woods. That's the only question you need to answer in considering why Kaylee Marie Anthony was left on the side of the road dead. Burdick then showed the jury a split screen with a photo of Casey partying at a nightclub on one side and a close-up of the Bella Vita tattoo that she got weeks after Kaylee died on the other. The jury began deliberations on July 4th. On July 5th, prosecutors stated that during deliberations, they were about to give the jury the corrected information with regard to Bradley's software discrepancy. However, the jury had reached a verdict before they could do so. One legal analyst stated that if the jury had found Casey guilty before receiving the exculpatory evidence, the prosecution's failure to fully disclose it could have been grounds for a mistrial. On July 5, 2011, the jury found Casey not guilty of counts 1 through 3 regarding first-degree murder, aggravated manslaughter of a child, and aggravated child abuse while founding her guilty on counts of 4 through 7 for providing false information to law enforcement. Count 4, Anthony said that she was employed at Universal Studios during 2008 pursuant to the investigation of a missing report. Count 5, Anthony said that she had left Kaylee at an apartment complex with a babysitter, causing law enforcement to pursue the missing babysitter. Count 6, Anthony said that she informed two employees of Universal Studios 
Jeff Hopkins and Juliet Lewis at Universal of the disappearance of Kaylee. Count 7, Anthony said that she had received a phone call and spoke to Kaylee on July 15, 2008, causing law enforcement to expand further resources. On July 7, 2011, sentencing arguments were heard. The defense asked for the sentencing to be based on one count of lying on the grounds that the offenses occurred as part of a single interview with police dealing with the same matter, the disappearance of her daughter, as one continuous lie. The defense also argued for concurrent sentences, that is, for all four counts to become one count and the sentence to run together as one. The judge disagreed with defense arguments, finding that Anthony's statements consisted of four distinct separate lies, ordered the sentences to be served consecutively, noting that law enforcement expended a great deal of time, energy, and manpower looking for Kaylee, Kaylee Anthony. This search went on from July through December, over several months, trying to find Kaylee Anthony's body. Judge Perry sentenced Casey to one year in the county jail and $1,000 in fines for each of the four counts of providing false information to, to a law enforcement officer, the maximum penalty prescribed by law. She received 1,043 days credit for time served plus additional credit for good behavior resulting in her release on July 17, 2011. In September of 2011, Perry, complying with a Florida statute requiring judges to assess investigative and prosecution costs if requested by a state agency, ruled that Casey Anthony must pay $217,000 to the state of Florida. He ruled that she had to pay those costs directly related to lying to law enforcement about the death of Kaylee, including search costs only up to September 30, 2008, when the sheriff's office stopped investigating a missing child case. In earlier arguments, Mason had called the prosecutor's attempts to exact the larger sum sour grapes because the prosecution had lost its case. He told reporters that Anthony is indigent. In January 2013, a Florida appellate court reduced her convictions from four to two counts. Her attorney had argued that her false statements constituted a single offense. However, the court noted she gave false information during two separate police interviews several hours apart. Since the end of the trial, various movements have arisen for the creation of a new law called Kaylee's Law that would impose stricter requirements on parents to notify law enforcement of the death or disappearance of a child. One such petition circulated via change.org has gained nearly 1.3 million electronic signatures. In response to this and other petitions, lawmakers in four states, Florida, Oklahoma, New York, and West Virginia have become have begun drafting versions of Kaylee's Law. The law in Oklahoma would require a child's parent or guardian to notify police of a missing child within 24 hours, and would also stipulate a time frame for notification of the disappearance of a young child under the age of 12. 
the Florida law would make it a felony if a parent or legal guardian fails to report a missing child in a timely manner if they could have known the child would be in danger. The call for mandatory reporting laws has been criticized as being reactive, overly indiscriminating, and even counterproductive. One critic noted the law could lead to over-compliance and false reports by parents wary of becoming suspects, wasting police resources, and leading to legitimate abductions going uninvestigated during the critical first few hours. Additionally, innocent people could get snared in the law for searching for a child instead of immediately calling the police. I remember following this trial. It was such a sad story. How how could a mother that claims to be innocent do so much to try and hinder the police investigation and lie constantly to everyone around her? To me, she is 100% guilty and she got away with murder. That poor little girl robbed of a full life because her mother just couldn't grow up. Well, that is going to do it for today's episode. I hope that everyone enjoyed the story. If you could, please rate and review on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. A five-star rating really helps others to find us. Make sure to join us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, and subscribe on YouTube. If you do enjoy the podcast please consider helping to support the show by subscribing on Patreon with monthly bonus episodes being available from the $5 tier. Also, a quick bit of news. Um, Next week will be an official week off for the podcast, but we will be back the following Friday with a brand new episode. Once again, thank you everyone for listening, and make sure to keep those doors and windows locked, and stay ready for Ohio Unsolved.